You are listening to Microchurches, a podcast for missionaries and leaders living out their God-given calling through this small expression of the church. This podcast is meant to encourage, equip, and contribute to the overall discussion of this smaller way. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. You are listening to Microchurches, a podcast for people brave enough to be small. This is your host, Tommy Wilkerson. And in this series, we are looking at the phases of microchurch development. So last episode, we looked at the first phase, calling it ideation. This episode, we want to look at that next phase, uh, which we're calling iteration. Uh, And so once again, I'm joined by Brian, and uh, I kind of want to pick up where we left off. So we talked about how uh, the way to move out of that first phase is to actually start doing some stuff, to actually start trying, engaging, failing, all that stuff. yeah, just very quickly, paint the uh, the second phase for us a little bit. Well, and it's not just doing stuff, is it, Tommy? Because it's it's we the, the the safe play is to do stuff with Christians, you know, mm. or, or the team that you formed, and 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 there is going to probably be a, a season of gathering that team to to again ideate what are we going to do. So not just that we feel called to this, but you know, how do we engage these people we feel led to love? Um, but there's lots of time, and I, I would say most groups probably stay too long in that period with each other. It's hmm. it's to, to linger there because there is a there is a threshold between ideation and iteration, and that threshold is mission itself. Mm. And the truth is, we're not great, most of us, at crossing that threshold. It's scary. You know, it's scary. Um, probably each each phase, moving through each phase, has its own obstacles, barriers, fears we have to overcome. But this one's probably the greatest, isn't it? It's it's Christians going and presenting themselves to non-Christians or 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 people in need, or people who are struggling, or, or wherever wherever we have sense that the kingdom is needed, Jesus is unknown or, or not fully offered, and so we have to cross that incredible barrier. And listen, um, it isn't just about overcoming our fears. There is, you know, I don't know what the listener here would, will feel about uh, the sort of supernatural realities that we're confronting here. But in my mind and to my understanding of the New Testament, we are, um, by, by stepping into that place of mission, by going from a Christian sphere into a non-Christian sphere, a Christian sphere into a place of need or whatever, we are picking a fight with darkness, with the devil. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really this ancient cosmic battle which you have now entered the fray i mean mm. that's the moment where you now have stepped into the the fight mm. i read some and i'm not going to remember this correctly but i read something recently that um some incredibly high percentage of soldiers in combat never discharge their weapon mm. i forget what it was exactly but it was it was it was staggering it was shocking mm. Because you know we just have this perception that yeah. uh, you know the 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 battalion or whatever they go out the platoon they go out and then they engage the enemy and everybody starts shooting and everyone's got each other's back and stuff but 
I don't remember what it was, but some incredibly high number. I'm going to make something up. Let's just say 50% or something like that. Um, soldiers just don't shoot. Mm. They freeze up. Hmm. And they can't pull themselves to do it or they just are scared or whatever. Um, so if we, if, you know, not to, not to belabor the metaphor here, but if this is, this is, this is a spiritual war, spiritual mm. battle. And if there is a, you know, if there is a real enemy out there that's trying to keep people in darkness, then what you're about to do, we can call it iteration, we can call it experimentation, we can call it mission, we can call it, we can have these sort of, these, these, these euphemistic ways of talking about well, what you're actually doing is you're actually going and trying to, to take something from the enemy, mm. take someone from the enemy. The great prize of, of the world, of the created world, is the human person, the human soul, you know, that somehow bears the image of God. And the great prize to give, in a sense, to God is, is those people who are lost or wayward. This is why the Son of Man came, to seek and save that which is lost. This is, you know, the Moravians, the great, mm. the great missionary class of the Moravians said, you know, their, their, I think their mantra was, was, was um, that the lamb that was slain would receive the reward of his suffering. Hmm. That they went, in many cases, they went to, you know, these these sort of comfortable German people, uh, <laughs> got sold themselves into slavery to to bring the liberating news of Jesus to slaves, mm. and and most of them died on slave ships and in slave plantations. But it was it was about that that the lamb would receive the reward of his suffering hmm. the, to give this this great gift hmm. was the hope and work of their lives even to the point of death so we when we step across that line obviously something is happening something really important is happening not just hmm. that you're finally doing something or that but but actually you're you're engaging in this this long fought struggle hmm. between light and darkness heaven and hell um, now, if you think of it that way, actually, Tommy, if you think of it that way, then, you, you, I mean, in one sense, it, it heightens, it exaggerates the, the fear or nervousness you might have going into it. <laughs> but in another sense, it's like being good at it or winning or something. It's probably less important than just the fact that you're there. That you're mm. that you're that you're discharging your weapon, mm. you know. Even if it's even if it's like holding your gun up over the parapet without looking and just <laughs> just firing randomly, um, you're there. Yeah. You're engaging the enemy. You're you're fighting for something. Mm. Um, and of course, that it's not. I, I don't want to use metaphors of violence, but there it is. You know. And even Jesus saying the kingdom comes through violence. Uh, and he doesn't mean a conventional violence of human being to human being. He means a taking back of something f that the enemy has taken or stolen from God. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, that threshold yeah. is nerve-wracking. It takes us out of our comfort zone. And it's also this, this cosmic struggle that you're entering into. So mm. big deal. 
Yeah. Big move. <laughs> and it, I mean, it, it, it seems to me, going back to our last conversation, talking about how, you know, is the beginning of something the moment where you kind of say, okay, we're starting this thing. And this is the moment that it has started. And then, but then the the threshold of this phase is the is the missional component, the engagement of mission. And so there's already this perhaps this worshipful posture. If you have your team, there's kind of this element of community. And now you're right. adding uh, mission. Right. And so it kind of becomes the church, even if the ecclesial minimum is a little uh, immature. Yes, unformed. Unformed, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and so it seems like uh, there's a way that this kind of, it becomes something that it wasn't before. Great point. Yeah. So even even as a, a, a sense of identity of our group, mm-hmm. something changes Yeah. when we go out, when we engage somewhere. We just try to engage. And again, even if you come back and say, wow, you know, we... we we did our first little outreach or we did our first gathering or we tried to invite people or whatever we, whatever we do. And, and, and you just come back and go, wow, that could not have gone worse, you know, <laughs> which by the way is often exactly the experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And you just think that was awful <laughs> or man, nobody came or nobody responded. Um, still, if you can, if you can acknowledge what we just acknowledge that you've now become a microchurch in the doing of mission, Mm-hmm. You've become something. You, 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 as an identity, you've taken this this incredibly beautiful, ancient uh, identity on mm-hmm. your your little group, and also you have gone over and flicked the back of the ear of the enemy and just said, <laughs> "I'm here and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to fight." Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's a big deal. You, yeah. you did a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Your little outreach, which was bad, and nobody came, and nobody liked it, or whatever. Uh, still, you did. You made a big, big step. Mm. Something maybe even to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. I think it kind of hits at something that I have underlined in the book is, you know, you talk about learning as the meta skill of maybe our time or of just the, the age that we're in, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, yeah, unpack that a little bit too, as we're talking about iteration, trying, failing, the role of learning. Yeah, so if if I'm hiring someone now, um, I'm less concerned about what skill they bring to the job. So you know, once upon a time, you would have said, "Well, you know, I need to hire a machinist." You know, do you have mm-hmm. experience working on machines or something? Or need to hire a plumber? Do you know how to plumb? Um, very simple skill set job skill set job and in the 21st century that's because information knowledge would have been the primary commodity so if you want to work in a certain sector or field you have to learn that knowledge and then you have access to work in that field Mm. well we live in a time in which knowledge is ubiquitous Mm. I can remember I can remember uh, not so long ago, uh, one of we we had a bunch of college age people living in one of our houses, and I, the, one of the light switches was malfunctioning or break, broken or something. And and uh, I said, "Oh, do you need me to come over there and fix that?" And she said, "No, I'll just look on YouTube." <laughs> so even that sense of like, I know how to fix houses. Mm. You know, I'm I'm the landlord. You know, you obviously you're twenty. 
you know, you need me to come and save you and provide this knowledge of how to fix the, the and the truth is she didn't feel that way at all. Mm. You know, she thought, well, no, I have YouTube. So I, I don't need you to, she, she might've said something like you should still come over and we could hang out or we could talk about God or something like that. But <laughs> I don't need you to fix the light switch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like anybody could fix a light switch because anybody could learn how to fix the light switch. You know what I'm saying? Mm, she didn't yeah. know how to fix the light switch, but she knew where to go to get the, the knowledge. So knowledge itself has become ubiquitous. It's not something that is rare. Mm. All right. So as a commodity, it's probably its value has gone down. So then what are we looking for when we hire somebody? It's not that skill. It's can you learn? That's It's all about are, are you that kind of person that yeah. where she goes, I don't need you to fix it. Hmm. I can learn how to do it myself. So yeah. she is exactly the kind of person that you would want to hire for any job, actually. Mm. Because the, the mindset is there that I can find out how to do that. Mm. So if you ask me to do something, I can figure out how to do it. So the, the real skill itself would have to be learning hmm. the ability to well not just the ability to learn but the mindset that learning is the game hmm. right that yeah i am not someone who is powerless in the face of unknowing hmm. i am not someone that needs necessarily another to come in and do something if i myself could learn how to do that thing yeah so that has changed, gosh, that has changed in your lifetime. Yeah. You know, that is, that is just a new reality. So um, I think it goes for something like microchurch planting where, you know, can we try, experiment, and learn like other things is the way that we will become proficient. Mm -hmm whatever that means <laughs> in the context that you're doing ministry. Proficiency is not something that you're going to get in school. It's going to be something that you learn on the go. It's also not something you're going to get from YouTube. Mm. So that knowledge is not necessarily available. But we know that trial and error has, is the oldest form of learning. That's the, that's the most mm. accessible form of learning. But it's a lot of... Um, smashed fingers and frustrating evenings trial and error yeah um this is probably why we like youtube <laughs> because i can just watch someone do it perfectly and I, if i just pause the video and mm. copy them perfectly i got this and there's this other sort of realm of learning which is no one can do it for you no one can show you no one can youtube it mm. you know they're the only reason why YouTube works is because I can I can type in my exact car and exactly. model, right? Yeah. And find someone working on my car. It doesn't work if you're typing in a one of a kind, one in only one of its kind in its time, mm. microchurch. <laughs> yeah. There's no no one's made that video because no no one is you. No one is your in your community, in your place doing what God has asked you to do. You're totally mm. unique. Yeah. You know, so, but we all do have the same journey of, of trying and failing, trial and error, whatever we want to call that little feedback loop. That is the game. Hmm. 
Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because as somebody who's not particularly handy, but has tried to use <laughs> YouTube to do home projects, you, yeah, you think you have it under control and then you crack open something and you realize the wiring is completely different than what's in the video. You Great feel yeah. like, wow, I was lied to. This in the is video, a... there's three wires. I have seven. Mm -hmm. Now what do I do? Yeah. Yep. 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 And so I, I appreciate the, uh, the little caveat there. It does seem to me though, like even in talking about that, I mean, I, maybe this is a complete and total side point, but right now our staff is reading new power, uh, which you reference in, in micro churches and just the, the way that maybe before it was, it was very power was very top down. It was very, all right, we are this class of people who have studied it, who know it, who have the experience, and we dispense that to you. And now there is a way that power is moving sideways and we are learning from each other and a way that people influence us. Uh, and yeah, it's just interesting as you consider like the, the role of learning in that as, uh, as it pertains to planting. You know, it's, it's a little off topic, but, um, I think learning and self-reflection and self-assessment is also a kind of companion reality in our time that, mm. that, so I'm, I'm looking for, if I'm hiring someone, I'm looking for someone that can learn, but I'm also looking for someone that's, that's learning about themselves. Mm. That's able to sort of grow from their, the trial and error of their own life and be introspective and contemplative and understand themselves. So self-assessment. Hmm. is also a just a precious commodity in the time in which we live. So it's learning how to do something, but then also learn by trying and failing, but also learning when to change and when what we're doing isn't effective anymore. And that yeah. constant sense of reflection mm. on who I am or who we are, or what I'm doing, the impact I'm having on the world or not having on the world, mm. um, it's just incredibly important. And people that refuse to do that, mm. that refuse to think critically about themselves, um, you know, particularly that want to look at the speck in the other person's eye, this, this injunction, injunction that Jesus gave very strongly, don't do that, and won't look at themselves, won't, won't reflect on their own need for growth or improvement or whatever. Um, that also is very dangerous. It's the counterpoint here to learning, mm -hmm. to refuse to learn, essentially. Yeah. To decide I'm going to do this this way or this is what I want or this is what I believe or this is what I'm going to do. And I'm just not listening. I'm not open. Mm. I'm not self-critical. I'm not humble. You know, this, really what we're talking about is group humility, organizational humility that says, do we have this right? Mm. You know, even if it's successful, because then what do you do if, 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 if you finally get it down and it's wildly successful, then it, do you lose all humility? Do you, do you double down on that approach and say, we'll never change that forever and it doesn't matter how this impacts people or anything like that? No. Mm. So learning is, it's, it's group learning, but it's also personal individual reflection, I think is really important for leadership, mm. just the development of leaders to go alongside the development of microchurches. Yeah, that's good, that's good. And as people are experimenting, iterating, trying things and failing, I mean, I remember, um, maybe it was movement school, and uh, I was listening to Jeremy talk about these four phases, and he, 
don't know, Jeremy being Jeremy described this phase as like, what is it, the soggy diaper phase or something like that sounds right. <laughs> where it just it just nothing feels good. Like everything just feels terrible all the time. You're failing all the time. Uh, and it just it occurs to me as we talk about this particular phase, there is a, an emotional uh, turbulence that happens here. Um, and, and I just am curious, how do people emotionally survive this stage? This is yeah, perseverance. This is this is everything. It, it seems like to a certain extent. Well, Jeremy, Jeremy's a Enneagram one, right? Mm. So he has that perfectionism tendency. So he would not like this phase. But I think other people might feel differently. Mm. Uh, turbulence is probably a, a good, a fair description. Um, so on the one hand, you will feel if 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 you care about excellence or you want to do something really well, yeah, this is going to be a rough. A rough season for you mm. um, because the idea is you you just aren't any good so it's like I don't know if you wanted to take up skateboarding or something you're good you're just mostly gonna be falling over this is yeah. if you want to try to do tricks or it's all falling at first and you have to have the appetite for that I suppose for skin knees and possibly even broken bones and but how do you get to the point where you can do these tricks or whatever, ride the rail or whatever people can do on a skateboard without having fallen a hundred, a thousand times before, right? But I also think there is, a, in other words, if I say, well, who is this person that does this? Because I, I would just have no interest in that. I have no <laughs> appetite for like falling a hundred times or a thousand times to be able to do some little trick on a skateboard. I have mm. no appetite for that at all. Um, but if I did, or if I was, and maybe I'll take risks in other kinds of areas, I do. But when we, when we are willing to fall a thousand times, it's because we are thrilled by the whole prospect, mm. you know, getting a little better or getting closer to hitting that trick, uh, or just that feeling of like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And I, I also think that's present, very present in the iteration phase. Just that just it can be electric with the presence of God. Like we're <laughs> gonna go, like I remember when we were in Ebor, there was a microchurch that would just just go out on the street on Friday or Saturday night and just talk to people, just do evangelism, just say mm. talk to people about their what they believed about God, you know. And if you ever just felt like you were dragging spiritually, you know, just go out with those people. And it's not about success, because very rarely do those conversations end in someone praying a prayer or something like that. It's it's about feeling alive. It's about it's about remembering who we are and mm. what we're meant to do. You know, I I wouldn't I would say that's one of the least effective probably things to do is to go <laughs> with a bunch of drunk people partying, you know, on a Friday or Saturday night and try to try to engage them and talk to them about Jesus. It's not effective probably as a tool for evangelism, but it's very effective as a tool for, for spiritual awakening. Mm. So if you need the sort the defibrillator on your 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 slowly beating heart, you know, for God, man, I can barely think of anything better than that, you know, to go and sincere conversations, not trying to bash people, mm. but to go up to somebody and say, Can I let's talk about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? And engaging a total stranger in a, in a conversation like that is like <laughs> electrifying. Yeah. You know, there's no way that you're not engaged mm. emotionally, spiritually. 
a sense of desperation, connection with God. It's worship and mission at the same time. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I think if you're doing iteration right, you're going to have moments like that. It's going to be full. It's going to be full of those supercharged experiences. And so, yeah, it's it. It might be in terms of as a perfectionist or as an, if you're looking for effectiveness, it's a soggy diaper, I suppose. But if you're if you're looking for energized, like we're stepping out, like I read the New Testament and I want to go try to do something in the New Testament, this is what this is, hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know, as we're talking, I mean, I, I, I don't know if the, the statistics on this have changed, but I remember at one point it was what, like 80% of startups fail or something like that. Uh, and... I just, as we're talking about this phase in particular, I just, it's like, is this, is this it? Is this where the proverbial 80% of microchurches just fail or do they not make it? But then even in that question, uh, you know, one of the things that strikes me about this particular chapter in microchurches is the talk that, is it actually failure? Is it failure if you learn from it, if you grow from it, if it, uh, deepens your walk with God. And so uh, even that, like some of the the language around learning and how that changes how we view failure, mm-hmm. um, I think is fascinating. Yeah, I, f- I probably feel um, torn a bit about the use of the word failure. I, you know, I get, mm-hmm. I get the sort of motivational speaker person that says there's no such thing as failure you know there's only <laughs> learning and discovery and whatever i get that and i i probably believe that too mm. at some level that um was it marcus aurelius you know that said there is there is no good or bad or suffering there is only thinking it mm. there's only thinking of something as suffering um but i that's I, the other part of me just thinks, let, let, let's be honest, sometimes we fail. Mm. Let's not, let's not just, just make it a semantics mm. thing where you say, okay, fine. It's not, there's no such thing as failing because everything, everything I do is a, I'm learning something fine. But I tried to do it. I didn't do it. I tried to have a certain outcome. I did not get that outcome. You yeah. know, I, I took the test and I got an F. Yeah. So... <laughs> That whatever that is, whatever you want to call it, and it isn't just about positivity. Mm. It isn't just about like, look at it, look on the bright side, or whatever. I, I think there's 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 something that indemnifies us against quitting or against breakdown that 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 builds into us resiliency or or endurance and determination when we can accept that failure is a part of the equation to growth. Mm. And it's a part of the equation to actually worship God, to honor God, to glorify God. Mm. So it's okay with me if you want to just say it's a mindset issue and think of it in positive terms and you don't use the word failure because there's no such thing as failure. And I, I think I probably would say you're right about mm. that. If you, if you see it that way, that probably is correct, essentially. But I also think it's perfectly fine to say, wow, we... That was terrible, and we <laughs> that we have to categorize that as a failure, as long as the word failure doesn't have this debilitating effect mm. on us. Yeah, you know? 
where where typically what we mean when we say that a thing was a failure was that we ought to stop doing it. Mm. You know, um, and this is this is probably something that's built into us when we're, we're very young that we we try something and if we're not good at it or we don't we can't succeed at it quickly then we think well that's not for me mm. you know, yeah. i'm clearly not meant to do that um which it just isn't true mm. for anything that's hard yeah it requires perseverance uh or what's been called deliberate practice you know where you 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 have to be bad yeah for a long time before you're any good, you know, taking up the violin or something like that. It's just, you know, you know, um, that you, you cannot be good for a while, for a long while possibly. But if that's something that you want or you feel called to do or be, then you know that it's going to take this, this long process of deliberate practice. So when you get on the violin the first time and it sounds like a dying animal, <laughs> is that failure? I mean, this is, this is, how do we categorize it? You know, and if you're trying to play, you know, Bach and it sounds like a dying animal, yes, that's fail that is you failed to play that piece of music mm. correctly or well, or in a way that anyone would appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> but have you failed if the ultimate goal is something else? Mm. Like the the goal is to to learn to play the violin. So have mm. you have you learned a little more today? Yes, of course. So in that sense, is that failure? No. So it's it's it's. I think holding in in, in maybe it is semantical tension, but holding in our hearts that that yes, it, this is a part of it. Yeah. Um, but also being honest about how we feel about that. To to walk away from a ministry experience that was not successful, that was mm. not received, or that that was met with rejection. Mm. We need to be prepared for that. We need a framework for that. Yeah. Um, and to say, well, it's learning is probably not honest enough. It's not, it's not enough to just say that when actually you're walking away with an emotional, you know, winded with an emotional punch in the gut, mm. because there is something about ministry that feels different than the violin. Mm. Rightly or wrongly, we, we walk in thinking if God is in this, it will work from day one. And 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 look, we both had experiences like that where that is that is that is the case. That the, the novice that has no business playing that piece of music does somehow. Mm. And that exception somehow can mess us up <laughs> because we yeah. can think, well, if God is in it, then it'll work. It'll be miraculous. It'll and if it didn't work and it wasn't miraculous, then maybe God is not in it and maybe I need to pull away. So it could actually, our spiritual point of view could actually reinforce quitting quicker. Mm. And to me, the only real failure, the only ultimate failure is to be disobedient. Mm. You know, it's to deny your calling. It's to quit. Yeah. Before you're meant to quit. Because even, even ending something is not necessarily failure. Right. Uh, and starting something else or doing something else. Often that's exactly what is the best thing to do. But we also all know what it feels like to want to just bail. Yeah. And and that's disobedience. And that probably is the only real true failure. It seems that, you know, it's there's a few things I hear in that. So one, 
even the identifying something as whether it's a success or a failure implies some sort of feedback loop. So you're experimenting, you're trying things, and then you're reflecting on that experience. And maybe some of that's like initial visceral emotional gut. Like I you came away from the event and it felt terrible. That felt awful. I never want to do this again. And so it's not like a Which I've heard you say <laughs> many times. <laughs> It's true. That was deja vu here for me. For a <laughs> uh, and so, yeah. T Tommy is a very uh, harsh critic on himself, by the way, because the rest of us <laughs> think it went great, and he'll be like, it was terrible. But anyway, moving on. It's not that I think something's terrible. It's often I don't know how things went. Because in the, in the, as you're leading an event, as you're doing something, you're not experiencing the other what other people are experiencing as they're going through it. So it's harder for me to gauge it. But yeah. Uh, that initial visceral emotional feeling, it's not a full, complete, I don't know, uh, feedback loop or a reflection on the experience. It's just an, an, it's an initial thought. But then as you reflect on it, uh, maybe there's, there's more things that emerge that come from that to where uh, you can figure out. I think what's been helpful for me most recently if I've had to step back and say, okay, well, what about that was a failure? Not that just labeling the whole thing as a failure, but mm. what about that felt like failure? What about that was unhelpful? And what about that was actually really awesome um, mm. or was like the win? What was a win from this event? Um, and so there's, there's that that I'm hearing, like, depend, like to even have that thought is implying that you have to reflect on the experience. But then also in the reflection of that experience, you realize, okay, well, what actually is the ultimate goal? If the ultimate goal was to have a successful outreach where 25 people came and X amount of people said yes to Jesus and lively conversations, it's like that largely did not happen. But if the goal was to try mm. and was to be faithful, then no, that wasn't a failure. It was uh, it was something else entirely, and um, but I, I I like what I like what you're implying there that that actually an event or something a social engagement of other people isn't one thing you know it's 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 complicated mm. it's layered yeah you know and even that's already helpful you can't you simply cannot grade. An iteration of mission. What what are you grading? What part? Okay, to your point, we wanted this many people to come and this many people to respond to Jesus. But but is that all you wanted? No, we actually also wanted people to feel welcomed. We want people to feel that we were genuine. We wanted the relationship to possibly continue outside of that one event. We mm -hmm. wanted God to be glorified or blessed by it. We wanted to feel like we were taking a step together, encourage to try something that we felt we were called to do. I mean, there's so many things you actually want from yeah. that event, right? So if you took it and you broke it apart into every piece of its, its you know, desire and tension, you'd say, well, you know, we did, we did, we did try, we did step out together, we did take a risk, we did, people did feel loved by us, you know, um, people, people did listen you know, like a seed was planted. and what, So you start seeing actually some things work, some things didn't, some things were success, quote, successful, other things weren't. 
And probably when we walk away from a thing like that and say, oh, that was terrible, that was a failure, it's more of a reflection on ourselves mm -hmm. and the way we see the world than some honest appraisal right. of the thing. You know, And overly positive people can do the same thing. <laughs> they can say, well, it was great. Seeds were planted. And that's not good enough either, is mm -hmm. it? Because let's be honest. Let's learn from it. And you can't learn from it if you can't see where it was helpful and good and where it was unhelpful and poor. Mm -hmm. And in everything we do, I mean, speaking is a good example. I mean, if you ever speak in public, it, I, I've, I've almost never seen someone speak in public where I thought there was no redeemable moment or no redeemable mm. impact or effect on that. And yet I've, all, I've probably also never seen someone speak in public where I didn't think they could improve. Right. You know, that there were, there were moments where they lost us or there was a breakdown in logic, or a story would have been nice there, or something like that. Um, I mean, there you go, it's art, right? It's not science. Mm -hmm. So if you think of it that way, there's always room for both gracious reflection, how is God present? Mm -hmm. how, how, how did he reward us or respond to our step of faith? And come on, how can we do better next time? Yeah. Yeah. And that feedback loop enables you to actually think about the next time and what you're going to do differently and what's, yeah, what are you actually trying to get from anything that you're doing that uh, just becomes helpful. And then maybe the, uh, you know, the other piece of it is this element that you've talked about a little here and you mentioned in the book, which is just the inner work that happens. Like, what if actually the real genius of all this isn't necessarily what gets done, but the kind of person you become in the doing of the thing. Mm. And so there's a, a guy that we're journeying with right now, who's, you know, kind of embarking on ministry and mission. And, you know, he uh, is just some days just so frustrated with just the early days of starting things. It's, it's all uphill battle, right? So you're, you're fighting that much harder to get anyone to show up to your event or to get people to respond to your calls or whatever. And uh, he kind of sees other ministries. And he's just like, man, like, ah, oh, look at them. And I'm so like, how, how do they have it like this? And it's just, okay, yeah, this is it. Like, this is actually the work that like God is doing something in you uh, that you just wouldn't get otherwise if you weren't embarking on this journey. Um, so that's got to have something to do with um, the spirit of the age, you know, the zeitgeist of instant gratification and entitlement, and some of these mm -hmm. some of these infections that we have in our minds about greatness and enterprise and creativity. You know that that we, we have this this naive narrative you know that great creatives just have a lightning bolt hit them and they write the great american novel or something in a day and it's not a grind and it wasn't hell and it didn't take 10 years and <laughs> the first four copies were thrown into the fire and you know it's like no that's not that's actually how art is made mm. right yeah that's the reality of how art is made the 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 raw truth of it but we we like the the biopic you know view of in two hours I can watch Rags to Riches and 
you know, a, a quick story of success and, and those, those truncated narratives are dangerous. Mm. You know, they're, they're not just inadequate, they're, they're crippling. Right. Because now I go into my little enterprise and think, I, you know, I'm meant to be Mark Zuckerberg. You know, why hasn't my little app that I just started gone global? I'm a failure. Mm. You know, I have a thousand subscribers, not a billion. And that is also really difficult, not just for, for perseverance, but also for assessment. If mm. I'm not going to keep at it, if I think, well, I have a thousand subscribers, so obviously I'm not meant to do this. I'm out. I quit. Mm. I'm terrible. I'm a failure. Um, what a waste, <laughs> mm. you know, what a, what a poor analysis actually. Um, so we, we quit too soon because our assessment is bad. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we walk away saying, so I think I know who you're talking about. And if I think of him and where he's at in, in ministry, I just think he's probably doing better than he thinks, mm -hmm. but because he's comparing himself to these more established groups, he's thinking, ah, oh, you know, Look at look how far I am from that, right? Mm. And so, but the the devil comes in in that moment and says, "Quit, right? That you're not cut out for this. That this isn't for you. That see you're not called. That God is not really in this." And of course, we can see in those moments of teetering. Now, I don't I don't think he would give in, but we can see in those moments of questioning and teetering that that sense of entitlement that I was supposed to be successful from day one. Mm -hmm. And I was supposed to be as good or better. I was supposed to beat my competition or whatever <laughs> from day one, that that can somehow weaken us to, to be able to, to suffer through yeah. the humble beginnings. Yeah, yeah. And something I've heard you say, and I think maybe you say in the book, it's, you know, how easy it would be to, I don't know, read something like Microchurches or to read something like, I don't know, Dave Ferguson's exponential or whatever, and you just think, okay, so that's how it's supposed to go. I'm just supposed to put one foot in front of the other, put these things in place, this pipeline and instant success, and that's it. Like, I'm great. Uh, but where is God in that? And actually, it's mm -hmm. the the failure and the, the uniqueness of your context and of your time and all those things that God is actually doing a, a purifying work in you and making you his um, that you just, yeah, you wouldn't get otherwise. It was just instant success. Um, and look, don't just, hey, young or, or middle-aged or old leader, just listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. Do not aspire to success too hard. Mm -hmm. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah. The idea of numeric growth or platform or whatever, is a, it's just a double-edged sword. It's a poison chalice. So, you know, what is the, the old Greek saying? You know, those whom the gods wish to destroy, they first make drunk with power. <laughs> the last thing you actually want, probably, is quick, fast success and numeric growth. <laughs> if I wanted to hurt you or destroy your soul, that's what I would give you. Yeah. If instead I wanted to see you become more like Christ Jesus, to become the person you, your wife or your husband dreams you to be, <laughs> hopes you will be, I would, the last thing I would do is give you quick success. Mm. 
you know, and we see there's these cautionary tales of young leaders that were handed large ministries fast too soon mm. before their character was developed to match it. Um, and the, the, the sort of implicit argument is always, well, you know, God did that. God, mm, I don't know. Mm. I think, I think if we, we, we do have this, this false, uh, association that if a thing does grow quickly or big, that's always God. That must be God doing that. And yet, because now we have to look and say, okay, we can see certain outcomes where a thing does grow fast and large, and it ends in the decimation yeah. of that leader and loads of the people that were involved. Then you have to ask, well, then who was behind that quick, quick growth, really? Mm. Uh, I'm not trying to be conspiratorial or something like that, like the devil's making churches grow. But it's it's isn't it a question we have to ask, mm. <laughs> given given what we're what we're seeing, what yeah. we're what we're noting in our time, and and are we learning from the macro lessons here? Yeah, you know, not just these little micro feedback loops, but the big cultural feedback loop. Mm. Of okay, people did chase church success, numeric growth of a ministry fast, and then lots of money comes in, and lots of lots of uh, personal power. Mm. And what is what effect does that have on the people involved? Yeah, you know the sycophants it creates, and the 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 megalomaniacs that it creates P probably just sort of ordinary people that could have gone either way you know could have mm. could have either gone the if they would have maybe gone through a harder road might be you know humble thoughtful people mm. still plugging away and 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 growing in wisdom and stature and grace but instead they're they're a, a punchline yeah you know, to a very bad joke. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that let's be careful. Now, I know we'll probably talk about this at a later point, but we, there still needs to be a yearning to see the kingdom come. Right. And to see people come to faith and to see something grow that has to be there. But at the same time, the slowness of it, the journey of it, don't cheat that. Mm. Don't don't try to find a workaround. Don't look for the loophole. Mm. Drink it in. Love it. Let it let it let it break you where it needs to break you. Mm. Let it let it shape you and form you where it needs to shape and form you. Um, it's a gift. That part is a gift too. Yeah. The little failures and the little awkwardness and the rejections and all that. You know, for our friend, we 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 wouldn't want to cheat him out of not getting those things. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's a. I don't know. Oh my gosh, I, there's so many ways I want to go with this. I think uh, whenever I, I'm tempted to equate big numbers with success, I'm just reminded of I is it either Isaiah or Ezekiel or any of the prophets where it's like. No, actually, your job is for people not to listen to you. No one's going to listen to you. I could, like, I think I think it's with Isaiah. He's like, I could send you to these people, and they would listen to you. 
And I'm not sending you to those people. Yeah. I'm going to send you to these people who will not listen to you. Preach so that they will not hear. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus says the same thing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's really interesting. Imagine that. How do you, what are the metrics for that? You know, like, well, this amount of people rejected me today. I did my job very well. It's like, that's, that's rough. But the, yeah, but the, the heart and the motive is, is not to do that. Cause there is a certain kind of person that would probably get up for that. You know, they'd, yeah. be, they'd be like, yeah, that's my kind of job. Like, <laughs> uh, just, just making people angry, uh, as a, as a ministry calling or something. Obviously if the, if the driver is mm. love, if, if, if it's Christ's love that compels us to yeah. enter into the ministry of reconciliation, if it's actually love, then I do want you to listen. I do want right. you to repent. Right, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, you know, Jonah and Nineveh saying, "I actually, it would be great if you guys would not repent because I kind of hate you all." Yeah, uh, and I, I'd rather just go back home. Um, that sort of reluctant thing, or, or, or if if we if we lionize the idea of of making people angry or 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 rejection, if we if we say that's the real game, right? Then we forget about love, right? Mm. So. But Jesus does prepare his disciples and the first church prepared. You know, the only when Paul's coming back, I think, to to Lystra or Derby or wherever, when he's coming back the second time from from the journey where he appointed elders. Mm. Or actually he he didn't appoint elders, and so he's coming back through and he's like, Oh, that, we forgot to do that. Yeah. That's what I think is happening there. It's Acts 17 or I forget where it is. Uh, and he's coming back through, and it's—I think he almost remembers, like, oh, we forgot. We should—we should probably appoint people as leaders. Like, there's a little church there now, and we forgot to say, like, who—who's there to look after everybody. So that's the first moment where we have where elders are created or ordained or whatever happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing we have from that first ordination ceremony of elders in the New Testament. Is he says and 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 some something to the effect of and he told them that the kingdom of God comes through much suffering. Hmm. So in other words, hey, we're going to put you as leaders over this little church, this missionary church enterprise, and and before you let that go to your head and think, oh, cool, we're in, we're better than everybody else, or we're at the top of the hierarchy, or something like that. Actually, what it means to be an elder is to suffer for the sake of the kingdom. Mm. That that's that's what leadership in the kingdom. Is. We just need to make sure you knew that <laughs> before we go on and leave you here. So you know the the call on us, the the missionary call on us to leadership, um, is a call to love, and because of that, we want to see people's hearts turn to God. That is our great hope and dream. But Jesus is also preparing us, just as Paul was preparing those elders, for the reality that most people won't respond. Mm. Like the parable of the sower. Yeah. You know, that three-fourths of the seeds you sow will not result in lasting fruit. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with you. You haven't done something poorly if that's that's what happens this is how it is this is what i'm telling you how it's going to be but you rejoice and you and you pray for that quarter that that you want everyone to Mm. be that last kind of soil but it isn't going to be that way 
Yeah. And Jesus is preparing them for that. And when everyone is responding, mm, something isn't right. Mm. <laughs> because what do you, I mean, really, what are you proposing? That you, you're the first one to figure out how to get around Jesus's prediction about how human beings will respond to the kingdom and the gospel? You're, mm. the, you're the one that figured it out. Like, I mean, that was Jesus, but Jesus was wrong. He got it wrong. And all all of the church history to this point, I've found a way to present the gospel where 100% of people like it or 100% of people respond. Mm. Or even 100% of people hate it. And that proves that I'm a real prophet or something. Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't know, the arc of history is long, right? So mm. even if you have a moment of favor and supernatural success Good point. <laughs> give it time what a dark <laughs> and, uh, who knows <laughs> sorry we got dark <laughs> even if it's going great what is it is it brene brown calls that foreboding joy yeah it just yeah yeah it's going great now but don't worry yeah that's your the, crash is coming that's the eeyore in me <laughs> the, uh, sorry sorry you me. got that <laughs> uh but no i think uh you know Maybe one of the last things we'll talk about, because I, I do want to be respectful of the time of this episode, is, um, yeah, last conversation we were talking, I wanted to talk about the unseen things and the role of that and the, the seen things and how to hold those things in tension. And maybe it feels more appropriate in this conversation, in this episode, just how the unseen things how that the role that that plays, like holding that intention with the seeing things, how that plays a part in the perseverance of a leader trying and iterating. Um, is there some connection between those two things? Like if you're thinking about the unseen things and the, the I don't know, the feeble efforts of this outreach, and you think about the unseen things, even when it's like, I don't know, doesn't go the way that you want it and you feel like it's a catastrophic failure. Does does the unseen things keep you keep you going? I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Well, and I suppose that's probably also a function of a good leader or leadership in that moment is can we well, self-leadership, can you first properly and soberly assess what just happened? And can you see that we just took this step into light into darkness, mm. that we just crossed this threshold, that we just picked this fight, that we've done something magnificent, mm. actually. And no one can take that away from us and we can't minimize it. And to be able to put words to that somehow, or at least to express that as an act of celebration or appreciation or admiration for your team, for your people, for your own heart that overcame your fears and took a chance, took a shot, tried to be obedient. Um, and then also the, the, you know, the confronting of the brutal facts, the, the, the ability to say, but not everything we did was excellent. Not everything we did was as it could be, and we mm -hmm. could do better and we could love these people better. And our own little picadillos 
worked in here and how could we what what do we need to learn and discover we, uh, so so good self-leadership is to see both of those realities mm -hmm. to be sober about both things that we both did something really magnificent and beautiful and we and we also did something that's quite embarrassing and you know needs a lot of work mm -hmm. uh and then and then and then as a leader of a microchurch or someone that's trying to plant a microchurch can can you help your people process both of those realities mm. Um, this is something that I would have tried to do or work on as a leader myself in, in ministry context. So always try to say, look, we just pulled off this event. Let's, let's, let's take a second and really appreciate just how incredibly important that was that we just did that. Mm -hmm. and we should all, we should all feel amazing about that. And then now let's also take a, take a good hard look at the ways that we came up short. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think both things are a part of iteration part of learning, part of improvement, and both things are um, virtuous. Mm. You know, uh, it, it, to, to do just one or the other or neither, I think is to, is to maybe disappoint the heart of God mm. in a moment like that, who, who loves the truth. And the truth is, we blew it here, here, and here, and the truth is, we took this incredibly important step of faith, and God is pleased with mm. us. You know, yeah. and 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 yeah, holding those two things in tension is a part of the 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 the, the social technology of growing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. How do people get out of this phase? Is it just perseverance? Just keep. I mean, learn from failures, keep trying things, and eventually you figure it out. You well, I, I, I'd say that the way you begin to get yourself out of this phase is things start to work. So, <laughs> so if, if iteration is all about failure or it's all about, you know, the, the discovery of what doesn't work, Mm. It was Edison that said, you know, I, I haven't I haven't failed. I've only found 99 ways not to make a light bulb. You know, right. so the, the elimination of hypotheses that don't work, that mm. are incorrect, you know. Uh, but then along the way, you're stumbling on these occasional discoveries. But actually, when we do this, people come and they like it and they hear it and some real fruit is born mm. in that. We ought to make note of that and that when you start making note of those things that work, you're yeah. beginning to define something about your microchurch, about your little community. Um, and both the discovery and the naming of those, when that begins to happen, you've moved on to the next phase. Awesome. And maybe that's a good place to call it. Uh, so if you are listening to this episode and you're thinking, wow, this is helpful, what do I do from here? Once again, I'll point you to Brian's book, Microchurches. Uh, it is a helpful guide as you consider starting leading a microchurch. Even if you are currently leading a microchurch, you have something under your, your uh, I don't know, your leadership. I, I would still point you in the direction of this book because it assigns language. It gives a little bit more of a framework for some of the things that you're doing. So that is a good resource to look at. And so Brian's book, Microchurches, will include the link to that in the description. Um, and this has been Microchurches. Until next time.